0: Welcome to Behind the Idea. I am Mike Hale and I am Dan Fletcher. It's another Gone Till November episode. This month, November, we are taking a look at our own ideas. Instead of sitting like the two old guys in the box on the Muppet Show who heckle what everyone else does, now we're getting down and dirty in the weeds doing our own work, and standing by it for good or ill. Last week, Daniel pitched Stitch Fix, ticker symbol SFIX, and it was kind of a big moment for him because he showed some openness to the growth in tech stocks. I call it really amazing work by one of the true original value hip- hipsters. So. Check that episode out. This week, it's my turn. And then we'll wrap up our Gone Till November month with an episode reviewing bad calls that we've made in the past. Believe it or not, we've made bad calls in the past. (laughs) Shopify. And then the last Gone Till November episode will be a conclusions and lessons learned episode. It'll also be our 100th episode. Nice big round number. Nice big round thoughts to go with that big round. number. So what am I doing? I am pitching Varian, ticker symbol V-A-R, a bull case on a high multiple stock. Varian makes radiation therapy machines and related software for the treatment of cancer. The company has huge market share, a big moat, and I think balance sheet flexibility that reflects a great deal of embedded shareholder value. I have been driving myself absolutely crazy, making models, copying things out of the 10K, doing that thing where you write in the investor presentation in red ink using arrows and stuff. But at the end of all that, I am long VAR. So, all right. Before we get into it, Behind the idea is the podcast that looks at what makes great investment analysis work. We take articles from the seeking alpha ecosystem, books by Joel Greenblatt, activist share letters, blog posts by Ray Dalio and our own now our own portfolios and try to break them down to understand the approach and how to apply these approaches in other situations. Nothing on this podcast, especially this podcast, should be taken as investment advice of any sort. As I said, I am long VAR. Daniel is long Stitch Fix, though who knows? Maybe I'll get him started on the right track, get him selling his Stitch Fix, selling short his Stitch Fix. And then going levered long VAR, which is by far the more intriguing investment, as you'll soon see. Okay, one more thing, Daniel.
1: We'll see about that. We may need to, we may need to discuss a way to put our money where our mouths are proverbially. But behind the idea, putting its money where its mouth is because it's brought to you by Seeking Alpha Pro Plus. Pro Plus is a subscription service that gives you exclusive access. So, Seeking Alpha's contributors' top ideas, as selected by our Crack Pro editorial team, as well as real-time alerts on some of our best articles, access to our Idea Filter, and a number of other features. All of them help you find the best of Seeking Alpha quickly and easily, so you can spend more time breaking down the analysis behind those ideas. To try Pro Plus, go to SeekingAlpha.com/proplus, where you can sign up for a monthly subscription. Or try an annual subscription with a 30-day money-back guarantee if, in case you don't like it. But we think you will. Check it out at SeekingAlpha.com slash P-R-O-P-L-U-S. Mike. Great. <laughs> I like. We both, had uh,
0: we, listen, listeners, we, uh, we write down a few thoughts to start out the episode, and then we try and ad-lib as we're reading those thoughts back, and, uh, Sometimes it goes well, and sometimes it goes off the rails. And I think uh, we had a little bit of both for each of us this time. But um, and here's more of it. So,
1: Varian, yes, yeah, so a little we'll...
0: inside. Varian, Varian
1: Medical Systems is the full name of the company. Varian Medical Systems.
0: Oh, that's news to me. <laughs> Get ready to listen to my long idea, please. I mean, well, let me just—I'll just start talking. So. I'm feeling a little, kind of like Daniel, a little growthy, a little high quality, a little not value at the moment, which is probably, you know, the contrarian indicator to end all contrarian indicators. But I'm feeling a little Einhorn 2009 uh, before, you know, things got a little tougher for our guy, David. He He pitched Microsoft and he basically... He made an analogy to fantasy baseball draft and said, "Sometimes you just have to pay up for the best player. You have to pay a little more to get someone who's really going to bring you a winner." And for him, at that time, Microsoft was that stock, was that company. And uh, I haven't looked lately, but based on what I've seen on Twitter and heard around word on the street, Microsoft is fairly well reputed to be an excellent uh, investment the past 10 years and sort of since inception. And I'm now making a similar case with Varian, a company that I do think is Modi to use a awesome term that I think has a lot of long-term earnings power and even maybe some hidden stuff underneath a sort of superficially high multiple, at least from A stodgy value perspective. So why do I think that? Let's go over, first of all, the business case for Varian and its strategic positioning. So like I said, Varian sells uh, these radiation machines that zap people's cancers. And I think the most important thing to understand about these machines and cancer treatment with radiation is that it's a very complex, very highly specialized medical practice with great risk to the patient. So you're, you're firing nuclear particles at a person in hopes of shrinking, destroying their cancer. The problem with firing nuclear particles at a person is the person also has healthy living tissue. And if you miss and you shoot nuclear particles at healthy living tissue, it does the same thing that it does to cancer, which is it engineers cell death. It basically breaks apart the DNA and makes it impossible for the cells to go on living. So Varian's customers, which are medical service providers, also known as doctors, they need these machines. They need to understand how these machines work. They need a high degree of Uh, precision, specificity, and consistency from the experience. And they need to sort of continually be updating themselves on the latest treatment modalities and the machinery needs to be adaptable to new developments in the field of radiation therapy. So all of that leads to a high degree of specialization within the machinery and i think a lot of stickiness from the customer base it it means that uh doctors are just like they need to use machines they're familiar with they need machines that can cater to this highly specific skill set the machines again shoot nuclear particles at people that's not something that's easily replicable. So to me, this business has just this enormous barrier to entry. You need the scientific sophistication. You need to have a brand that's reputable with physicians who do some very challenging work combating a disease that's meaningfully fatal to a large number of their patients. Uh, this is high-stakes stuff, and Varian makes... Uh, the machines that facilitates all of this. So that's the basic pitch of where I think the main is a sort of technological know how barrier to entry and a brand reputation that sort of allows Varian to have a great degree of sort of pricing power and therefore profitability. Additionally, Varian knows its customer base very well uh, in the U.S., where Varian is the most dominant. The healthcare system is geared primarily towards rapid treatment throughput and maximizing billing hours. Invarian says in its 10K that this is a big part of where its innovation is pointed at is just to continually improve the patient experience, but also make it faster, make the setup times and all that stuff faster. And that's definitely a good attribute for physicians. And then not only and then finally to sort of cap off the broad overview. Cancer is a large market and it's a growing market. I read in a Morningstar report that radiation therapy is actually it has a lower cost profile than new drugs do. Now they're costing benefits to the patient and all of that stuff. But I think it will be an enduring and potentially less vulnerable treatment modality than drugs will be to whatever happens in the US healthcare system with payment issues. And on top of all that, it's a growing market. So according to Varian, the number of new cancer cases diagnosed annually will go from 14 million new cases per year in 2012 to 25 million in 2030. And they're citing a Lancet oncology report compiled by the global task force on radiotherapy for cancer control within that growing market Varian is now trying to expand internationally and so this is a company with very strong market positioning they are account for they have 50% market share globally and they have more than 70% market share in the US they're overwhelmingly dominant they're like a a Google or similar Type of entity within this market so they have pricing power they have dominant market position they are in a market that's sort of organically growing for a lack of a better word and now they're aiming at generating additional growth via installations in emerging markets and sort of throughout the globe so overall i think that the qualitative pitch here is just that varian is excellent from basically however you want to measure a business in terms of strategic positioning varying would be toward the top of my list of uh, firms.
1: Okay. Okay. So one basic business question for you or two parts, it's sort of two sides of the same question. I think they in there, I'm just looking at, they just reported their fiscal year, Q4. And in the 8K, they haven't released the 10K yet. They they break out oncology systems versus proton solutions. And I see that they have a president of proton solutions as well as their CEO and a president of oncology systems. In their 10Ks and their 10Qs, they break out, which this is quite interesting to me, they break out product revenue versus service revenue. I'm just curious what's what's the what's the distinction there that you've come across, or what's your take on how how much does that matter that they have two different sort of lines in their income statement as far as where they're getting their revenue?
0: So, if you look at the revenue breakdown, first of all, good question, and it, I'm I'm not fully like a hundred percent on all this, but I'll give you my best answer. So. In terms of the breakdown of oncology systems and proton solutions, I think if you look at the sales breakdown between those two, it's like 95% oncology systems and 5% proton solutions. And the way management breaks those two things down is proton solutions is kind of this more novel emergent therapy modality that's still kind of getting worked out. Uh, It's It's basically their higher risk, higher potential growth play that they're not it's not the main focus. The main core of the business is oncology solutions, which is the sort of traditional types of radiation therapy that's been around for decades. And I think proton solutions is more novel than that. And so my temptation is to kind of view Proton Solutions as currently a pretty small part of the business and with a sort of degree of skeptical remove. I'm not sure whether it's all that meaningful in terms of its growth or even if it's all that economically viable long-term. I think that's uncertain the way that management presents it. But I think it's good that they're trying to explore new different technological applications. But I think really the focus here is probably at least for the next several years, going to still remain on oncology systems. I think that's the business that really is strong. And then you had a second question, which was...
1: Product versus service,
0: yeah. So this is complex and sort of strategically uh, looking through the 10K. Management presents a sort of different, a variety of different ways of looking at all this stuff. So you've hardware, you have the machine that shoots the beam at the patient, the patient's tumor or cancer. You also, I think I was trying to underline the complexity of that. So you basically need like a team of like four or five practitioners to administer one round of radiation therapy. So you have the radiation oncologist who sort of develops the treatment plan and comes up with like, okay, we're going to dose him this much and we're going to aim here. But then you also have, in sort of general terms, you have another person who's sort of a physicist who's in charge of sort of figuring out how the physics of the thing will work. You have someone who's sort of modeling the person's tumor and trying to figure out how to target it. And all these experts have to work together and use a variety of different software and applications to that go with the machine. And so I think the blend between hardware and services is kind of this variance trying more and more to provide a comprehensive sort of suite of goods and services that will do as much of this administration as Is possible. When I first read about that, I was like, oh, cool. Maybe they'll develop basically like an Apple type of closed system where, like, you know, in Apple, you have your MacBook, you have your iPod, you have iTunes, and now you have the Apple credit card. And like, it's an entirely closed system where you could theoretically do like a lot of your information processing needs only using Apple hardware and software they sort of go out of their way at variant to say that they're trying to be more adaptable to other systems and other, that they they hope that their hardware and software will play nice with other hardware and software and more easily integrate into people's systems, whether they use something else or not. In that way, maybe they're more, analogous to Microsoft in that Microsoft software can be more compatible with a large variety of different hardware and applications. I think there are strengths and weaknesses to each approach. Varian is sort of currently saying we're not trying to create a closed system. We're trying to provide be as many things to as many people as possible. That's inclusive of software versus hardware. So they're not specializing down into just the machines, they're doing a lot of different things. And from what I read in the most recent report, the, the software business is growing faster than the hardware business, as you might expect. There are just more opportunities to sort of plug into different customer needs with that wider array of things. But I I can't really get into the specifics of what those offerings are because I don't really understand. So I'm kind of on a high level of understanding.
1: But so is that like a strategic aim to grow? Because the software, if we just dumb it down to that, the software margins are better, which not terribly surprising. And it looks like a you said it's growing faster. Is that like a is there a way for that to grow? Overtake the product revenue, or is there, there's got to be kind of a limit to how much, how many services you can sell when you really still have to sell the hardware. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, is that, is there any reason to think that they could be transforming their business, or is this just a continued intera- iteration of what they're already doing?
0: That's an interesting thing about Varian. So they, they spun off a, they sp- spun off V-Rex uh, a few years ago, and I think V-Rex, provided some kind of ancillary services, Varex Imaging Corporation, just real quick. They design and manufacture x-ray imaging components. So they had an x-ray machine business. They spun that off. I think that there there is, because there is this kind of customer ecosystem of all these different things that have to take place whenever you administer treatment, there feels to me like there's this kind of ebb and flow with the asset base that I, I could see them developing the software business and then spinning it off or it becoming an emerging piece. Presumably, the hardware is vulnerable to competition in the same way that we've seen, you know, uh, phones or computers or anything else that specialized tech. Eventually, someone figures out how to do it. So. My, my working theory is that Varian is using a variety of means to sort of get itself positioned to enter as many more markets as possible and also to make itself less vulnerable to disruption. So kind of a diversification play. But again, I think it comes down to the fact that this process is so complicated that, and my read of the management perspective is that having as many ways in and having as much interoperability with whatever you provide with whatever the doctor sort of needs again staying dumb maybe the doctor has an electa machine but needs to update the tumor modeling 3d model software or whatever maybe it's like well varian can now step in and say all right we understand. You like Electa. Fine. You just bought one a year ago. You're not going to get a new Varian machine. But guess what? Varian software is interoperable with Electa. So this is all hypothetical. I don't know if this is actually true of the product, but this is the kind of general story that I'm picking up. I think, though, that to directly answer your question, the main avenue of growth here is to Penetrate new markets to get into emerging markets to sort of retain and solidify the foothold in the U S and to do inorganic and organic growth and expand horizontally. I don't see the software. I see the software business as facilitating that, but I don't see it as like the mean it's not being trumpeted. I don't think as the main
1: strategic, it's not an end into itself to become a, That's not my
0: impress. That's not my impression. But, um, but you could also see, I mean, we've seen a lot of companies kind of transition from hardware to services. And, you know, IBM and Microsoft are sort of two classic examples of repositioning themselves into new sort of tangentially related areas. And I think that what Varian is showing lately or what they're trying to show is kind of, because they're so entrenched in their home market and what they do well, they're, they're sort of capable of adapting and shifting around based on where the market is or where they're trying to go. And I think that's where the interoperability story comes in. It's like, okay, you're, you're in, you're a doctor in India and you're getting your first sort of, you're setting up your first radiation therapy practice we can help you in any number of ways. The important thing to vary in is that they get there, get to the new get to the new markets.
1: Um, what is the how you talk about their customers, their their ten K talks about customers as sort of the hospitals or the physician uh, for the physician offices or whatever. Is there what's their Strategy. I want to talk about competition because I guess that's the questions to lay out the map. I think the questions are really just around how, how to sort of solidify that they have this mode. So what do you, what do you make of their go to market strategy of their customer relationships or what, what, what is your impression of that as far as supporting or posing a risk to your system, your position?
0: Well, like I said, I think that they're sort of. Two main considerations here. First of all, if the customers are the hospitals and hospital administrations, administrators, or physician groups that are businesses, their their main objective is to their profit maximizers. So their their main constraint is time. Basically, they're able to bill incredibly high rates for this type of treatment you know being a doctor pays very well being in private medical practice pays very well basically the question for a lot of cancer doctors i think is how do <laughs> how do you print more money faster and the key thing that varian focuses on in terms of the sort of business opportunity is facilitating as many treatments as possible making the setup and the breakdown of each treatment as easy as possible, making the administration as easy as possible and making it as comfortable as possible for the patient, take as little time as possible for the patient, but being realistic. Also, it's all about the throughput. It's all about cra- cranking cancer patients through this system of administering the therapy and moving on. And uh, that's sort of a cynical and sad version of, the reality of the customer need and the go-to-market strategy variants sort of, they have long sales cycle, but they're continually iterating these processes and going out and then uh, presenting a refined version of a, of a customer's existing machine that can do the following things a little bit better, a little bit faster. Uh, the other component, I think, which is a little bit more heartwarming is that Even though these business entities are the customers for variant, the users and the people who really matter, the decision makers in some ways are the physicians and they are obligated to provide great care. And this is a technically difficult and highly sophisticated treatment mode. It's not the same as giving someone a pill or an IV. Each cancer is particular to the patient, is located in a different place, is a different size, can move over the course of treatment. There are sort of different ways of attacking different types of cancers. It's the embedded knowledge that's required of these doctors and the practitioners is immense and it's ever-changing. And so, I think that there is a high degree of need for familiarity with the system that Varian provides. They provide the tool that facilitates this. And I think that's, that's. I think the proof is kind of in the market share. You know, there's 70% market share in the US. I think that shows how difficult it is to compete for a new entrant to come in and compete against that. It's just, it's not like switching from Samsung to iPhone. These are like high stakes decisions. The machines are expensive and have a long life. I think there's a lot of stickiness to the brand. And there's a lot of institutional know-how that goes into making particle accelerators that is not readily replicable I I I hope that gets directly at your question but to me it's just like this is a fairly evident thing
1: yeah look yeah I think all of these questions are going to be sort of hitting at that level in terms of because I, I what I'm looking at is a uh, operating margins around 15 16 percent which is not crazy but not bad and They list, I may have, I may be misunderstanding their competitors because they sort of break them down into different categories. Some are, they talk about big names like Cerner for, I guess for medical records and then Roche, Phillips pops up a few times. But when they specifically talk about medical linear accelerators, they talk about Electa and Accuray, which they're much bigger than um,
0: yeah, Accuray is basically not,
1: yeah, that's it's almost non existent. That's not a company that's been doing well. I just so I
0: understand Varian to be in in the radiotherapy, radiation therapy specific business line, they're effectively a duopoly with Electa, and basically, Electa has Europe and. Varian has the United States, and now there's kind of a land grab going on for the rest of the world. So it's like Coke, Coke and Pepsi or whatever. These are like industry dominant.
1: Right. So so we're, we'll get into valuation because I guess that's that's probably going to be the most compelling area to kind of try to tackle this. But well, Yeah, it will be the toughest for me too. What is the so, – so the moats – the mode as you're describing it essentially is expertise, entrenchment with customers and just kind of being there first. I, maybe, maybe just from a, the competition maybe is not so interesting. What I'm also thinking about is the, you talk about the throughput and sort of the way the industry. Is there any, I, th- you may have said that this is efficacious, efficacious, uh, effective. As effective, like that effective is simpler as far as treating cancer. I guess I'm just curious what ultimately we don't again. We every time we talk about healthcare, it seems like we have to disclaim. I don't know what's going to happen with the way healthcare is paid for or doled out in the US, but just is there reason to think that? a throughput-based model will be viewed with a less, not just as something cynical, but something to be concerned about? Is there any reason to think that they're ultimately not getting the job done? No,
0: the short answer to that is no, I don't think so. And the reason I don't think so is because that that dynamic is, but is in no way specific to radiation oncology it's endemic to the entire United States hospital system. I recently became a father. It was a very throughput-oriented process to deliver my child. It was also a revenue-maximizing process in some ways. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, you know, you have from, from the beginning of life to the end of life, that's the way things are structured here. I don't think that that's going to fall on Varian as heavily as it might fall on other players within the medical system. My rationale for thinking that is, again, radiation therapy, at least according to a Morningstar report that I read, is cheaper than chemotherapy and some other options that are available. So I think that if we get into CMS coverage issues or Medicare for all issues or whatever, I think that the primary angle of attack is going to be on the highest markup, the highest, the least justifiable revenue drivers first. And I think that things that are relatively cost effective will be, will face relatively less pressure in a new environment. The, the other thing is that I think it, I, I, think it's defensible. I think radiation therapy for canc- cancer patients is defensible. It helps many of them. And on the other side, on the technological innovation side, if we're talking about sea changes, this is a little bit self-biased, but I have a friend who works in radiation therapy and chemotherapy simultaneously. There's a lot of the new modalities kind of aimed at synthesizing different weight treatment regimes, antibodies, chemotherapy and radiation therapy, all sort of together. So I don't see I don't see this as a very vulnerable way of administering cancer care, either from a sort of payer perspective or from A technological innovation perspective. And I think if you look at one way to tell this, I think would be to look at Electa's margins and they're, they're in Europe primarily. We already talked about that a little bit and they have 13.9, 13.7% EBITDA margins. They have slightly lower gross margins than Varian, but it's like it's forty two percent for Electa versus forty-four percent for uh varian. somewhere in that it's like the gross margin percentages just has been sticking in the in the forty percent range historically. I think when there are so few players and there's that much market dominance, I think the one thing that would maybe be more concerning is kind of FTC issues probably more than medical takeover, government, healthcare, or whatever you want to socialist have time.
1: Right. Well, and that's, that's one other sort of trivial thing here, I guess, because it's not huge numbers, but they seem to have impairment charges and acquisition related expenses pretty much every year. I need to go back to the statements in the in the 10k but it seems like it's just a recurring thing doesn't seem like it's anything meaningful and it's probably what their non-gap is if i had to guess but yeah
0: yeah i had that up there so my my take is to just use gap for this company this Mm -hmm. is an industrial producer it it has some interesting quirks around the sales cycle and around warranties and stuff, but it's kind of those things kind of to me balance each other out. Like, uh, and I think gap does a good job of handling those as is so. Like, yeah, sure. They have bookings and they have a sort of book of business that's out for a couple of years or whatever in, into the next year. And, but on the other side of the coin, they also, they also have warranties for the machines that creates liabilities. So I think six one half dozen of the other let's let's use actual revenue let's use actual expenses and kind of just go with gap net income and look at the cash flow situation i had some charts that i shared with you earlier in my sort of valuation thing and like although there is fluctuation year to year you can kind of see a 10-year pattern that's kind of the the economics of the business kind of they're they're unsteady as a result, I think, of the need to acquire new technologies to do R&D to, you know, R&D is ramping up right now. Management's telling a big growth story. R&D is ramping up right now. SGNA is ramping up, up right now. Uh, they made a huge, you know, they made four or five hundred million dollars of acquisitions over the course of the past fiscal year. There are occasional cash needs here, but to me, the overriding story is more that that's all in service of keeping this sort of well-established business running and sort of what has to happen. So that's true, but I don't think there's a high level of deception there. I think the gap versus non-gap, there, there are meaningful differences there, but I basically am making all my decisions based on
1: gap. Yeah, figures so why don't we go into the valuation because i feel we you know readers or listeners for background as mike was working through this we were kind of chatting regularly with one another trying to mike was kind of working through the research process and the valuation seemed to be your sticking point it seemed to be you shared a bunch of the charts as you said in terms of how are they using their cash what does their free cash flow look like what are the returns? Yeah, returns on assets and all these other things. But then also just when we get to get down to it, especially if we're using gap numbers, you know, we're talking about a stock that is trading for, I think on the on a gap basis, they're in the. I'm not sure if they're 8K reports gap or non-gap, but they had three point four dollars a share in. In earnings last year, as compared to a hundred twenty-four dollars share price, so we're talking about you know a trailing twelve months earnings of thirty-six times. So I think you've made a pretty compelling case for why they're not going to be outcompeted, why they're not going to be dislodged. You know, as you said, cancer unfortunately is likely to continue to be a growth segment. So how do you get? Your, and I'll just. Also add that as a share price, not that this is valuation, but the shares have been more or less flat since the beginning of 2018. So, you know, they pop. So, so yeah. So how do you get your head around sort of 36 times trailing 22 to 23 times forward PE, which I would guess is a non-gap number, the projected PE? Um, What are your thoughts? I
0: think this is my, my This is my Einhorn Microsoft moment. And I think what you're looking at here. So I think that there's a lot of embedded opportunity here for a sort of expanded shareholder return. So the first thing I did was I took $3.2 billion in 2018 revenue and I just assumed that that could compound at 8% annually and that that's all organic growth. So that's all sort of moving into new markets. I think the year on year revenue increase for the fourth quarter was like 11%. So I think there's a chance that the ramp is even higher there in terms of expanding into new markets. And you can see in their slide deck kind of a map of how that's playing out so far. And it looks like there's still a lot of green space for them to run around. in. so I think 8% top line growth is really uh, conservative. Uh, And the Morningstar report I read was somewhere around 11%, I think, that they were projecting out. So there's a lot of room for additional upside there. Um, I had... Cogs growing at 5% every year. And I think that that's just sort of the reality of how their business works. Uh, they're in a moment right now where they are doing more R and D and they're doing more SGNA than is, uh, sort of typical of their 10 year characteristics. So. SGNA historically, when they've been a little bit less growth focused than they are now, has been around 14% of sales. Today, it's around 19% of sales, and R&D is they they act like it's a major lead, but it's at it's at 7.7% now. Let's just assume that things are going to of, of revenues. Let's just assume that things are going to remain competitive, and they're going to have to do that. You model all this out and you get net income growth of like 7% compounding over the next five years or so, going from net income of $310 million to $436 million in 2023. I think that that's a really solid and reliable and conservative estimate of what can happen. And that's what, like, not quite 1.5 X, but you get some much larger, you just get solid growth. I think that's reliable growth. And I think that in terms of the risk to the future earnings, it's much lower than it is for a lot of other stocks. Um, if you and you get to you get to fairly valued on on a twenty-two times PE, which is <laughs> you get you get to that on forward earnings now. I think though that this stock could potentially be rated higher than that based on the growth characteristics and So if it's more of a Costco or if it's more of one of these just completely solid businesses with a very large moat and a lot of really deeply entrenched customer relationships, plus it has growth opportunities associated with it. I'm not, this is going to sound nuts, but I'm not sure that 22 in, in today's market, 22 times P is all that buck wild of evaluation. Uh, that was a long winded way of saying potentially very little, but um, <laughs> that's kind of where I am with it. I think it's just one of, it's like, again, it's like, this is this is quality. You got to pay for that today. The other thing I did was I I, I, uh, I used our quant ratings feature on Seeking Alpha and I put in, has at least 10 billion of market cap and has valuation rating of C plus, which, which is what, Varian has according to seeking alpha this quant rating system and the companies that are there's like two types of companies there there's like companies that you and I would just consider sort of gratuitously overvalued with sort of poor economics VIA ele- electronic arts of the world okay and then there's apple and there's you know uh work day and these 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 great excellent companies that everyone knows are going like where the where the party line is like these companies are going to be around in 50 years. And so I think if you're aiming high then 22 times forward non-gap is not that bad, maybe even that maybe even that's 30 times gap. I still think that you're kind of in the right ballpark and that's without getting into the balance sheet which is flexible they have no debt, and i have a story i can tell you about that if you want to hear it
1: i well i would like to point out that screeners are a new feature on seeking alpha premium and pro plus screeners they can help you form fit your confirmation bias to your thesis which is what i'm doing it's yeah. very very convenient I, I really like that i t- plugged in c plus and i noticed for value and I noticed one or two stocks that I own that I don't feel like naming right now. But yeah. <laughs> Very interesting.
0: Very They're interesting. more on the electronic arts side of things than the value uh, side of things.
1: I the- wish we could just
0: do the non-gap to gap thing really quick. I'm having trouble finding my my slide on that.
1: Yeah. I so I so listeners, as Mike pulls that up, I'm looking just to give you a sense of that screen, you can run a screen. We have quant scores run. We've got somebody out of our New York office who's developed a quant model. There are, yeah, you have names like Medtronic, Somewhere Industry, LAM Research, Allstate, Oracle is in here, VMware. Yeah, it's quite a mix. I actually, I you might have done like a C or worse I don't see Apple here. Walmart's on here. Um, so yeah, it's an interesting mix. You've got some growthy names like Twilio, but you also have some stodgy names. The The top name on this list is a, a large conglomerate that I've often disclosed a position in that I'm just lazy I enough to n- not mention because I don't feel like having to edit it into our disclosures. Okay. The end. Well, but.
0: okay. While you were doing that, I found the gap to non gap for 2019, and gap EPS is four, six, is 338, and non gap is 463, which is 1.28x. And if you do that, multiply that up, then uh, variance at 28 times gap earnings versus 22 times. Non-GAP, assuming that that multiple is a non-GAP multiple, right? so I would guess it is. So I don't know, but when you're
1: at 22, what's <laughs> what's another six, versus
0: 28? I don't know.
1: <laughs> what's another six turns? I don't know if you call them those turns, right? Between friends, yeah. <laughs> well, it's just um, it, it, what's interesting to me about this is just if you think of, th- here's here's how I I'm thinking about it as you say this is that you back into. Uh, an earnings yield, right? A P multiple is the inverse of an earnings yield. And so you're thinking about how many years until that earnings pays me back. 10 times earnings means that you get like (laughs) 10 years, right? But without getting into the numbers, what I'm thinking about is that ultimately that risk curve is based on, or that reward curve is based on your risk. And if you view a firm like Varian as less risky, you're essentially saying, that you're willing to go further. You're willing to extend your payback period or you're willing to, you know what I mean? It's like you're willing to forego two years that you would of a cars.com or whatever. And I had to do the same exercise with Stitch Fix. Stitch Fix is a much smaller company. And so if anything is even, and has a higher multiple and is even riskier. And so I, you know, I said 2025, which who knows where it will be. Five and a half years from now. But that's sort of, and on the flip, like you have to make these sorts of compromises wherever you are. Even if you're buying a three time or a five time PE, something's going on there. And it's usually not, oh, the market isn't aware of this great new business. It's usually, oh, their taxes are funky. There's something wrong. Yeah. yeah, There's something wrong. And so So. it's always going to be that compromise.
0: Well, I mean, what, well, the 10-year is uh, yielding an amazing 1.86% right now, 10-year treasury. So does dozen barring. earnings yield from a company that has this level of sort of risk protection, the option to generate additional growth, the capacity to even, I would say, make mistakes, say some of the recent acquisitions haven't worked out it can fall back on this in business that has just these incredibly well embedded economics. It's got this big moat. Even if you're modeling out a 2.5% earnings yield on this company, I think there's some it's like you say, I think the risk is lower here and you get more return than a US Treasury. And then I do think there is some embedded value elsewhere. They have consistently bought back until recently where they've had to make some sort of bolt-ons to pursue their growth quest but their you know their average share repurchase history is pretty strong in the like half a billion dollar range they that's a ton of share repurchases for an 11 billion dollar market cap company again they have no debt on the balance sheet and i think you can if they are a microsoft then they then they can lever up probably add close to a billion dollars in debt to the balance sheet, handle that fine in today's debt markets, they can probably get about a 3% interest rate, not meaningfully impactful to net income. And that would be an immediate 9% additional shareholder return if they borrowed and bought back. So, even if that story is not necessarily going to take place, I think the fact that the balance sheet is so flexible and I went through a tortured process and read things backwards where I thought for a minute that they had some debt on the balance sheet. Daniel has reassured me and I relooked at things. 2019, no debt on the balance sheet. I think for a business with this kind of potential earnings stability, that They've levered up in the past. They've spun off in the past and, and done huge buybacks in the past. I think this is a business that's that operates effectively, has a giant moat, and I think that there is some balance sheet and shareholder transaction flexibility here that the net income numbers are probably depressed right now by the increased R&D and by the increased sg a as they expand these new markets. If they scale that up, then potentially they dial back down to historical levels of SGNA and a r and d the net margin in- increases, and they also have balance sheet flexibility to potentially do something really attractive for shareholders. So I think part of, part of the story I would tell is also just that the multiple is large relative to bottom line earnings, but those are sort of in a spot right now that they haven't been historically and could revert back to a more sort of attractive uh, yield going forward
1: okay what what brought you to varian because it's what i like about it is it's actually pretty under the radar it looks like no pun intended it's uh it's <laughs> a good one <laughs> <laughs> i really didn't intend it but i'll, I'll take it yeah. There, there's only a handful of articles on Seeking Alpha over the years. I checked Value Investors Club. There's one post from 2012. It's you know 11 billion. It's not a tiny company, but it's not a big one. Like what, what made this something that caught your eye?
0: My uh, father is a radiation oncologist, and I was, I knew I had to do this. I was visiting him, and I. Asked him for stock picks, which you should all do, by the way. Ask doctors for stock picks. It's a classic source of outperformance. No, so I'm <laughs> a home biased and illusion of control biased. And uh, I, too, I probably have too, too much of the wrong information. I hold my father in great esteem, what he does in great esteem. All of that's affecting my decision-making here. I probably am emotional about this and... And but that's how I got here, and that's the so you might think that's edge, or you might think that I'm a fool for thinking I can crack this just because my dad does this stuff for a living. But that's where we are.
1: I'll. It's it's always nice to hear an origin story. It's always nice to hear where an idea comes from.
0: Look, but so net income and even free cash flow doesn't look like a great yield here. I tortured myself over the thought of this. (laughs) I will hit the buy trigger this morning. I do think that the growth story is pretty strong. I don't think that this is going to be an upward re-rating situation. I think the main risk to me is that the market is pricing in a lot of growth and shareholder return that may not be coming. But I think that there is a case where this plays out really favorably. Uh, There's... Pricing power embedded in any market position that's this large, organic growth additionally. I just think that there's a lot that could go right here.
1: Yeah, they have they have I mean, it's a steady grower. Their fork their guidance was for strong growth in two thousand twenty. And I think you've made a pretty solid. You don't case like for, it, that's okay. No, it's I I I think it's an interesting case. It's a solid case for their entrenchment, not being exposed to the negative headwinds that you might have in the healthcare space. I think it's... I'm a hope, I'm hopeful for you, Mike. I'm looking forward to hearing how this <laughs> position plays out. And I will... I did not have that variant in my attention wheelhouse, and I will put it in my wheelhouse because I think it's interesting to... I don't know. The healthcare sector, as as at large, is a pretty big blind spot for me. So,
0: it's a huge blind spot for me too. But now I'm exposed to it. Shout out to Gilead Sciences. Our <laughs> position that I, I this has shades of that. <laughs> They're dominant. They're the only ones there. <laughs> Gilead was a value trap. This one is at least this is not a value trap.
1: <laughs> Do not repeat the same
0: mistakes. That's it. That's all you can ask yeah. for. Uh, all right. Well, do you have any more questions for me? I think I pretty much nailed
1: this one. <laughs> <laughs> you got it. No, that was good. Thank you, Mike. I enjoyed this. Let's see how it. Well, so I guess the question is going to be: What plays out better over the next? You pick your time frame: twelve months, eighteen months, five years. Stitch Fixer variant. Oh, That's where I think the let's
0: take an initial evaluation at the ninety-day mark when we're both cleared to. It
1: transact shares yeah. as per the seeking alpha compliance policy okay. yeah. we might have let's to evaluate that we might have to have a fogo dishau meal on this or something God. we're such creative masters. all right <laughs> let's should we wrap it let's wrap it okay. all right Good stuff done